Welcome to Pap and Chad with Megan Nash, a co-production with the Creative City Center in Regina, Saskatchewan. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Megan, and this is the podcast where I connect with friends and we talk about touring, snacks, and everything in between. This episode actually uh, celebrates a tour anniversary as well. Grace and Grit. They released music under GR Grit. Uh, we were on the road together six years pretty much to the day when we, we have, of having this conversation. So how cool is that? Um, and what I love about this conversation is it reminded me of being in the Buick, in my Buick Regal, driving down the road um, in the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan, to the next gig uh, with Gray. And it was just, yeah, it was really nice to go down that, that memory lane. Um, little warning too this conversation does get heavy at times um colonial violence eating disorders food and shame um are th- those those is- issues are discussed so i just wanted to give you a heads up about that um gray's been releasing some really rad tunes and let me tell you when i'm really excited about music there's no chill there's zero chill uh, i just am very very excited and i'm not cool at all about it uh, maybe i even sing their songs to them during this episode i don't know who knows who knows um we do talk about gray's new puppy we talk about their experience being in the studio with ray spoon um and you know what let's just get right to it i adore gray and you're gonna get that you're gonna get that vibe from this episode folks let me tell you today's guest is grace and grit gray you just got a puppy (laughs) yeah so my partner and I got a little Boston Terrier puppy um, in December and so got him at eight weeks old. He was so tiny. He was so small and he was the hunt, the, the runt of the litter. And so at when we first got him, the only thing he could do is scoot backwards. It's like he could barely walk forwards, but he knew he could scoot backwards all the way till he'd like either hit our leg or a wall or something. And I think it's because all of his litter mates were twice his his size. And so I think he would like try to get food as every, they're all like trying to eat at the same time. And he would like grab food and then scoot backwards and then eat his food. Oh. Anyways, poor little, poor little guy. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. that is so sweet. Uh, when you posted on your socials, a video of him wearing a jacket and running outside, that was the, the booties, sweetest yeah. thing in the booties. Yeah. That was the sweetest thing. Yeah, that's uh, Crystal actually edited all that edited all that together, and I was like, I love this. We've both watched it so many times, <laughs> and we like, yeah, just send it to family. Be like, watch this. <laughs> I just love him the way he jumps in the beginning. It's my favorite part. It's my favorite part. So now he's now he's walking on a leash, and he's so good. It's unbelievable. I'm waiting for him to get into his like terrible teens because I know it's all gonna go downhill. <laughs> As people keep reminding us, but for now, we're just really enjoying that. He's just like a very, very sweet dog. Uh, what's his name? His name is Chestnut. Oh, he's a, that he's is a brown so... and white terrier, uh, Boston Terrier. Yeah, that is so sweet. That is so sweet. No, I think he's absolutely adorable. And it just made my heart burst to see that that you got a pup because I feel like and maybe totally t- tell me if I'm wrong, but. Do you feel like if we had still been as active on the road and just touring, like, would you still have gotten a pup? No, absolutely not. Because, I mean, we were doing a lot over, like, traveling by plane. And, you know what, I've I've heard of some animals being really great, like some small, like, chihuahuas or small, small dogs that can fly in the cabin who are really excellent. And so that's really great. But for us, the amount that we're traveling, plus, like, we always max out, like, all of our bags and stuff because I have so much equipment to bring with me. Um, It would have just been really difficult. And then it's already stressful to begin with because, like, um, you know, I'm in a larger body. And so just fitting in a seat in a plane is, is really stressful and painful enough then to add in, like, the stress of, like, having an animal and is he okay and what if he gets sick on the road and what if... What if this? What if that? What if he gets injured? Like, it would just be really stressful. And if I'm stressed, then he'll be stressed, obviously. So uh, I don't think we would have ever gotten a pet if we were still touring like we were. And it's because of the pandemic. Like, we were like, maybe we could get an animal now. 
because we don't know how long this is going to last for. And even the first predictions of how long the pandemic was going to last, like for the impacts on the industry and touring at the beginning of March, like 2020, we were already hearing like end of 2021. Right. And yeah. even that now, now it's changing with all the information we're getting. So for us, we'd been looking f- since last summer, maybe even in the spring actually, but uh, you know, the phenomenon of everyone kind of getting a dog cause everyone's home and you can finally have it like your, um, a furry companion, you know, um, so many folks have adopted dogs that around here, like all the shelters are empty or there's a huge, huge list. And, you know, a lot of the time the dogs that do come up have a lot of behavioral issues because of like past experiences and that, and you know, that's, um, and that's fine, but we're not, we're not experienced enough that we could take on, um, trying to undo behaviors versus, getting a puppy and trying to put put in the times to to get good behaviors you know or you know behaviors that like go along with our lives like so um i guess by bad behaviors i just mean like being aggressive or or being scared or barking a lot things like that like if i'm trying to record then and if and if this dog is reactionary and barks a lot then i'm like then that that kind of cancels out my ability to work and anyways, so we're kind of like, we wanted to adopt and we kept an eye out for a long time, but there were, there were no dogs. And if there were, it was like two seconds later, they were adopted. It was incredible. So yeah, finally we were able to uh, find a puppy and yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, obviously it's, it's one of those things where, um, I, I'm, I'm, it's 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 amazing that you get that um how do i word this in a way it's always hard to talk about silver linings when there's so much human suffering in the world right now you know yeah i hear you it's it's really oh sorry go ahead well no i was just agreeing with you to be like i'm grateful for all this time and this and that but then you look at like the numbers of deaths yeah in canada in the united states you know in italy in you're looking around and you're just like I'm really privileged to be able to work from home and to be able to have a pet, to have a dog, that I have a partner, that I have a home. Um, so, it, yeah, it is hard to, to be like, but isn't it great we get to be home? It's like not everyone gets to be home and safe, actually. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. And and I, I feel, feel like I, I I have to kind of just like – you know, I, I have to mention that when I when I talk about my own dog and my own experience in the last year, because like um, and I get really excited. I do get really excited when I see my friends getting pups right now, because that is a, that can be such like a um, such an amazing thing and experience that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And of course, I know we all want to be out on the road. And of course, we miss touring so much. And, you know, we're talking on a podcast about touring today. That's like all about missing <laughs> touring, you know, like, of course, we miss it. And, and I I, I love um playing live and i and i that's really what would fill my cup in this in pursuing a career in music was the live performance that's what would fill my cup um but it it, it's it's so uh this last year though being able to spend as much time with my mature dog he's probably 12 or 13 and being able to spend that much time with him has been like really amazing i want to cry thinking about it i get so emotional talking about talking about shiloh and i just see the love that that you and crystal are putting into your puppy and i just like that just makes my heart so full especially when i think about um you know i it, it just it just breaks my heart to think of like every every pup should get that start every pup should get that love and when i see that happening and my friends putting that love and it just it just makes my heart so full um i'm really excited for you to have that sweet sweet little pup i encourage everybody Mm. if you haven't already yet you have to go to um (laughs) your uh uh, gr grit social media to see this sweet sweet pup yeah you can check out instagram and there's a there's a real Instagram reel. Yeah. Of yeah, of chestnut, you know, 
his first time in his coat and his booties going for a walk. It's so cute. Oh my goodness. He just really didn't even know it. He didn't understand the concept of a walk at all. But now, now we go on longer walks and we have a leash and he has his like harness and underneath his Aww. coat. And now he knows like, oh, when we come here, we see friends. Aww. So he'll like meet other dogs and he gets excited, but he's even more, ex- he's like more of a people dog, I find. So like he, he gets excited about other dogs and he'll sniff them and they'll kind of play a little bit. Um, but mostly he's just like, I want to, I want this person to pet me. <laughs> so yeah. he's like really interested in people. Yeah. Um, I, I know this doesn't like, uh, really, uh, translate well to an audio only platform, but I just pulled up the reel again right now for myself to just watch right now. <laughs> and the little jump at the start is just so cute. My eyes are yeah. watering. I'm very emotional. Dogs do that to me. They really do. But, you know, the listener can go watch on your Instagram as well. So there you go. (laughs) So good. Um, So you are now in Sudbury. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, And you were born in Sudbury. Yeah, actually. um, Yes, I was born at the like general hospital here. And so if you've seen... The, um, so up here festival had a, a mural artist. I think their name is risk. I always forget. Cause there's a bunch of different mural artists that did a bunch of different, amazing mural art and all the names are jumbled in my mind. So please forgive me, but, um, had a muralist come and repaint that hospital, which has been, um, vacant for years and years now. And so if you look like, if you kind of just Google like Sudbury mural or Sudbury hospital mural, like it'll, it'll pop up and it's just like this beautiful, like multicolored, this building is, is fully multicolor now. And I think it's the largest mural in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. And so that's the hospital I was born in. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm pretty sure I, I don't remember obviously, but I'm pretty sure that's the hospital that I was born in. So, um, I was born in Sudbury, but I grew up between Sudbury and North Bay in a in a oh, little okay. town and grew up kind of like on the back roads, um, you know, in rural northern Ontario. Yep. And and then you like I, I we met we met. I don't. Whoa. How long ago now? We met like seven years ago or eight years ago. Did we meet, meet up in Yellowknife? We met or? up in Yellowknife. And I feel like, I, I okay, I have to confess something to you. I feel a bit embarrassed because I feel like the first time I saw you play, I was that I had a few, I maybe had a few beers. And <laughs> I feel like you were playing with somebody else. You were doing a duo gig. And you okay. played a song by this artist. And at the time they had this other song. There was another song by them too. And so I did the totally not cool thing i was so not chill i went up to you like during your break and i was like love i love your set like i'm really enjoying this you know and then would you would do you ever play this song by this artist and then you and whoever else you're playing with were way too patient with me way too kind to me and you actually (laughs) played the cover that i requested Where was this? I'm like trying to remember this. This was probably in 2013 in a little bar. Or no, this was at an up. It was like an upstairs bar in somewhere downtown Yellowknife. Sounds like the top night, maybe. No, it wasn't the top night because I remember the top night. This was like. But I swear this was still upstairs. Where else champagne is there an upstairs? Room. Sorry? Champagne. The champagne room was another one. Where it was off of like the main like fiftieth um, Avenue, like the main yeah. street, and you'd walk upstairs, and it'd be in it. You walk up and then to the right in the champagne room, and then <laughs> this is a funny thing: bars that where you go upstairs. <laughs> um, yeah, Mackenzie Lounge. This would have been a while back. Oh, maybe Mackenzie Lounge. Was I performing with Tyler Shea? <gasps> yeah, that name sounds familiar. Or it could have been, or it could have been Jessica Heine, because sometimes Jessica would also cover. But me and Tyler, we would do some du- duets. We would do like, um, 
we would do some white horse songs as duets. So we do like um, Devil's Got a Gun by White Horse or... Oh, you know what it probably was? It, it might have been Damien Rice. <gasps> I think, yeah. 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 We, did, we would do Damien Rice covers and sometimes even like a mashup because uh, Damien Rice O and, Dam- and, and Damien Rice's 9, if you listen, some of the songs are almost exactly, the music is almost exactly the same. <laughs> I'm so, so grateful that together. you yeah. reminded me of that artist because I was thinking about this because, you know, just thinking back to, to like, how how did we even meet? And then I remembered, yeah. oh, that's kind of embarrassing. Um, and then I was like, but who was that artist that had that song that I was that I that I liked so much that I thought it was socially acceptable to request it, you know, and there was it. Yeah. Damien Rice. That sounds familiar. I feel like. There's this song, oh, I don't know, I'll look it up. You know what, there's going to be so much, in- There's this is a very interactive episode. People have yeah. to, <laughs> you know, they have to go to your Instagram, they have to search yeah. the world's, or the Canada's largest mural in, in Sudbury on the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, Moose Jaw, mm-hmm. I think for a while, claimed to be like the mural city, so. Oh, okay. We're learning things here. Yeah, well, I guess Sudbury might be its sister city for that. Yeah, yeah, you and know, then there's or, like or sibling and then, city, and then Moose, uh, then the Musha has got another city too. It, out, was it in Norway or something? There was oh, like a yeah. moose thing a while ago. That's so funny. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we met up in Yellowknife, and I feel like. Um, like I there's there's something um really like from an outsider's perspective really cool about the the Yellowknife uh music community like it seemed like very much like everybody knew everybody and that there was a lot of mm-hmm. venues actually like given like the size of the the city that there were a lot of places to play at one point I'm not sure if that's what it's like it looks like right now still um but it seemed like there were lots of different rooms that folks were using as venues um and uh, my my th- the thing I'm always curious about with regards to artists based out of Yellowknife is how do you make it work? Like uh, there are so many beautiful things about Yellowknife, but I do know, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the cost of living in Yellowknife is and and yeah. and finding places to to live, and then also the 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 logistics of being based out of north, like when you out of the north like that, like when you make a tour, like that's a big stretch to get to the south. How do you yeah. make those things work? So, you know, cost of living is something that um, is way too high up up in the north. Yes, there are some of the pay for some of the jobs that exist is reflective of that, but not everyone has those jobs. And so, um, yes, most of the time, if you, if you have a job that would, you know, be a quote unquote minimum wage job, which, you know, in the South, that's not even a living wage. It's, it's a pittance really. Um, up North, you won't, it'll always kind of be higher than what the the standard minimum wage or the legal minimum wage is, but it's by no means a living wage. And so that is a huge part of, of why we ended up moving South. And so one of the, one of the reasons being like, I actually want to be on my home territory and I want to learn the language and I want to be reconnecting to you know, my roots and, and trying to have that reconnection, which I mean, I've been here mostly just as long as the pandemic's been happening. So it's kind of hard to reconnect to communities when you can't really go into those communities, but I've been able to connect online or at least learn the language online a bit more, um, to a point that really surprised me actually, like Crystal was going through these, like a post and it was like a collection of all these like words of the day. And scrolling through and saying words, and I was like, I know what that means. That's this. I know what that means. And I really, it was actually really surprising just how much I was able to absorb. So, you know, there's that part. Secondly, like, I have two nieces now, and I want to be in their life, their lives. So that's really hard to do when you live that far away. And um, 
and and then you have the third thing of it's really hard to earn a living when you're paying so much in rent when you're always on the road and so we spent um over a year uh, close to two years living out of our suitcases and basically like short-term rentals of a friend's airbnb space which meant that like we had a place to be to live when we were in Yellowknife, and but then when we left we don't we didn't leave anything behind so we had to take everything with us like it's an airbnb so um it was really hard it was really hard on our mental health and like to not know where anything is like your stuff's in storage but you actually have two storage spaces and you're trying to find something and you're like where did I put it I don't even know and you're constantly like unpacking and repacking and at some point you're like okay like I'm actually really suffering and I need a place to call my own and so we really looked at like could we buy a house here could we find a cheaper rental space that you know we could feel good about leaving for so much of the time but have our stuff there and have it be safe and, and all this stuff. And like, we're like, no, that doesn't really exist. Could we buy or lease land and, and build something like, you know, something, you know, humble, but something that would work for us. No, it's actually really expensive. And, um, so going through all these avenues, it was just like, we actually can't do anything. And being an artist, it's hard to get, even if you want to like build or buy something, getting a mortgage without a cosigner mm-hmm. is next to impossible. Mm-hmm. So especially like if you're self-employed, but you're an artist, you know, if you're self-employed and you're doing something more conventional that people understand and feel is more secure, then, you know, that's fine. But when people see that you're an artist or an entertainment or something like that, they're kind of like, hmm. So, you know, that's another barrier there. So, um, so you add all that together and it's like, we had to leave. Um, and like you said, traveling, being able to tour out of the North, you know, Yellowknife is, is, is not as, um, cut off from the world as some other Northern places. I mean, now you can drive there year round. There's the Decho bridge. Before, okay, you had ferries and ice roads, and that could limit things a little bit more. But now you have a permanent bridge. And yes, it's many hours to drive down to Edmonton. So, I mean, if you're touring, like, you're not really going to drive down. I mean, you can, and, and, and I've I've made the drive across country numerous times. Um, and starting from Yellowknife, you know. Uh, but a lot of the time, the... <laughs> You know, the, the, the thing, time is money is not an understatement. You know, it's, it's, it's capitalism. And so if you're wanting to make a living, you can't take five days to drive all the way to a show. You're going to fly. And so if you're flying from Yellowknife, you have additional costs that other artists who are in um, southern, more southern Canada do not have of those extra flights in and out of Yellowknife and the baggage costs and the timing. It's not a convenient flight. There's only like two flights per airline a day maximum, like even less now, I think air Canada pulled out of there and, um, you'd only have like certain flights during the day on certain weeks and yada, yada. So that makes it difficult. It would mean a lot of the time overnighting in Edmonton or Calgary. And then sometimes you have a festival that has the budget to, to cover that cost. Other times they don't. So that's a cost out of pocket for you and you have to decide, you know, how many CDs and how much merch do I think I can sell at this show? And also like, but, uh, you know, it is a good experience and it's a way to network and to meet people and create a relationship with folks. So I also want to do that, but how much is it going to cost me? And will I make any money that out of this? And if I don't, is that okay? Because do I have other gigs this month that's going to be able to cover my costs of living? So you're constantly juggling all these things and it's adding more barriers to folks who do live in Yellowknife. I think even more if you're living in a smaller community outside Yellowknife. And I think even more, obviously, if you're in Nunavut, which is even more difficult and more expensive to travel from. So like if you're in like Iqaluit even, it's like, yeah, that's the capital city, but the cost of getting in and out of there 
before even talking about going into a, a another community is exorbitant and you know white horse i feel like the highway there is even you know picturesque and beautiful and i've done the alaska highway highway um but yeah it is a barrier to fly out luckily though they have um one of the best airlines ever you know where they have air north but i feel like even their flights have have suffered due to not only the pandemic but i think before that too of just like the costs of running an airline business out of the north is is expensive and but they're by far i think my favorite airline and so um at least they have air north to fly to a lot of capital cities kind of westward and then they had a direct flight almost like white horse to yellowknife to ottawa so that was awesome. If ever we had a gig in Ottawa, sometimes we could just go a direct flight down, um, which is amazing. It cuts like it cuts so much travel time. It's unreal. And they usually have like a, like a home cooked meal, practically like having like a like a elk shepherd's pie. Like you're eating that oh as you're flying goodness. direct to Ottawa and you get like a cookie as well. And I remember once like I was coming up on my guitar and I you know, you, you, you bring it with you. You hope you can bring it up. But sometimes, you know, you leave it at the bottom of the stairs because you're like, I don't feel like fighting today. And like, I was going and I was about to put it down. They're like, what are you doing? I was like, Oh, I'm just putting my guitar down. They're like, no, you need to bring that on the plane. Get in here. They're like, that needs to go. Yeah. That's precious. Get up, get up here. And like, help me put it in the overhead compartment with my acoustic guitar. And I was just like, this, I love you guys so much. (laughs) And like, I was doing a few, I'd done a few flights in the same year and it was all the same folks working. They're like, oh, you're back. You're going to play some music in Whitehorse. Where are you playing? Oh they're like talking gosh. loud so that everyone can hear where you're playing in hopes that like, they're like practically helping you sell tickets, you know? They're just, they're <laughs> That's the amazing. Gra- the That's amazing. I would, I would be like, if you don't, if you don't mind, could you also, I'm just going to call my bank right now. Could you also explain to them that what I do is like, has value, please, you know, <laughs> while you're on it, while you're I'll put at you on it. I'll you speakerphone. Yeah. <laughs> You are listening to Pep and Ched with Megan Nash, a co-production with the Creative City Center, and today's guest is Grayson Grit. I have been listening to your song Doubt It on repeat. I'm going to sing it to you now while looking into your eyes via Zoom <laughs> and say, is, does this feel weird? Does this feel awkward? do 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 doubt it. Like, what a hooky course. I want to eat it for breakfast. I want to eat it for lunch. I want to eat it for supper. It's so good. (laughs) You want the leftovers the next day. (laughs) Cold even. I don't even have to warm them up because they just always stay hot and hooky. Hot and hooky. Uh, It's such a good song, my friend. I I called a friend last week. I was like, you need to listen to this song now so I can talk to you about it. And finally, I I posted it the other day. And then then I said, because I said on my post, someone please listen to this so I can... can, talk to you about it and then you said let's talk about it and i thought oh yeah. boy here we go like yeah. <laughs> yeah let's talk about it uh i think the, the production's brilliant the songwriting's brilliant um you have that magical gift of being able to convey huge issues in a way that people can like like dance to it's it's like this there's this juxtaposition with your work and it's amazing, and not everybody can do that. And you, my friend, do that really well. And, and you know, and the reason why that was successful and could happen is really because I worked with Ray Spoon. And so Ray Spoon co-produ- co-produced the album. And, uh, you know, we wrote these songs together and, like... um I did kind of songwriting in a little bit of a different way for this Mm. album. And I feel like if you listen to Ray's music and especially like as it gets more poppy, you know, it starts off more kind of country, alt country folk. And then now it's in this really cool, like pop universe that is like really rad. Like you listen to like bodies of water, you listen to the album mental health, you know, just the, the latest two records that they put out. And it's like, Ray's talking about some really hard stuff, some really big stuff, yet still very danceable stuff. Even if you go further back of like, you know, 
forest fire burn the disco down like if you listen to like that that whole album you're always hearing stuff that is so so big and really big feelings and but things that folks can relate to you and you can still dance to them and you still feel okay about your life even though Mm. you can so relate to those things like there's this nostalgia about of like you know being this queer kid and feeling misunderstood or feeling alone and you listen to this music and you're just like okay yeah we're talking about feeling alone but now I feel less alone and I feel like I can sing along too and I actually feel like really supported and seen you know so just working with Ray was incredible where um I am like all the songs in the album started off with like I just played around with an analog drum sampler and came up with a beat and then once I had a cool beat that I really liked then I hopped on either the synth or my electric guitar and um you know so for doubt it um that was the electric guitar. So like those, um, a minor back to G, but I'm, I think I'm capable of the first fret or whatever. So it's just like these dom bam, these big kind of strums and with like a nice, like reverb and delay put on there. And it fills up a lot of this space. And, and so it was just kind of going back, back and forth and then coming up with a chorus. And then what Ray did for, for a lot of the songs, and a lot of the songs, there's like six songs on the album or whatever, um, is that they set up their mic and we just listen. Ray kind of cut things up and looped it because they use Ableton for for like the creation part of a, of a song, which I'm really looking forward to learning more, actually, because it's such an incredible uh, like in, like software and like uh, arrangement tool but they kind of looped stuff around and they just had me on the mic and they were just like, just come up with like vocalizations, just like Mm. explore melodies with your voice. And at first I was really self-conscious because normally I would do that like either alone when you know you're writing a song, you're like, you're just kind of playing around and then you like one. You're like, I'm going to go with that. But what Ray did was like, just keep kind of, just keep going, just keep going. You know, we'll go through a, like, Ray looped it for a while. Just keep going until you feel like you really have nothing left. So that's what I did. And so for doubt it, like that chorus just came from. It was just doing kind of that hook. And again, some of the other parts too, were just like these little hooks that, that came out from me just like doing doo-doos and dadas and, and just fooling around. And so, I think the first song we did actually might've been quiet years. And at that point I remember like going through and then me, I'm like, okay, let's, let's try this one more time. You know, I went through the whole thing. I was like, I want to try it again. And Ray's like, "Mm, I think you should listen to this first actually. And so they had already like picked out parts and played them. And I was like, Oh, I did that. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. And so like in, in quiet years, like, that was like one of the first things that Ray like had cut out and and put there. So the, and in our first sketch of the song, that was how the song kind of started with like, um, like the drum beat kind of thing. And then, and then the, um, was the other part. So both those parts you hear in the final song, those are the original takes from us just fooling around in, in Ray's like home studio. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so they're layered in there and they're beautiful. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't feel like I could get the same vibe or, or tone or anything. Like I can't, probably could have tried a million more times and in, in the studio trying to redo it. And it would have just not had the same like je ne sais quoi about it. It wouldn't have the same spirit about it. Um, as those first takes. And so with doubt it, like there were a lot of things that kind of came up, but it was that. And so I'm like, what should go there? What do I want to say? It's kind of like a little bit like snooty or something. Right. So you're like, and you want to like finger wag and be like, like, so it was like, I was just kind of playing around with that. Like what could go there? And it was, it was just like, doubt it. Yeah. Doubt it. So I'm like, what am I doubting? 
What yeah. is the song about? And already knowing what the album was about of like my family history with, you know, my grandmother, my mom and me, or even my, even my, my mom's mom's dad, my great grandfather, you know, about him being an indigenous person being enfranchised by the Canadian government, my Nana growing up, going to, um, you know, she grew up in Shabananing, which is now called Killarney, Ontario, going to school, being taught by nuns, being a devout Catholic person, um, but being indigenous and never talking about it. And then, and that passed on to my mom who's, who was like, didn't know, um, about her culture and, and didn't know the language or, or ceremonies or anything, which means that I don't either, you know, she, she inherited like Catholicism, you know? Um, so this album was really about like the, the impacts of colonization yes on a like macro level but also like what does that mean for me and my family and me and my own history growing up and like to now what does that mean for you know indigenous peoples on this continent and even really beyond what are our parallel histories that we have experienced they're all very different like we can't pan indigenize everything but like there are some like very strong parallels between all of us whether you look at like uh, folks in, in so-called Canada or even folks, you know, in so-called Australia, um, you know, the parallels are uncanny and, um, we're just able to relate in ways and talk about things in ways because of our experiences. And so whether they be experiences or lack of experiences that we should have had, you know, so mm. it's, um, so when it was like, doubt it. It's like, what do I doubt? Well, the intentions of the Canadian government. I really doubt their actions and their inactions, you know? I really doubt... Uh, yeah. So I, I wanted to write a song that was about relationships. And, and I think even Ray was like, you know, you can start off with something that makes it seem like we're talking about just like a person-to-person relationship that is really relatable. And then you zoom out to the macro of like you know, the nation to nation relationship that has really, um, really been one sided and really been, you know, super abusive. And so, yeah, that's, that's what that song is, is about. And so, you know, at the end when I'm just like, and if I did to you as you've done to me, which like, um, I was like, that feels really good. And, and Ray pointed out like, yeah, it, it feels really biblical, you know, do unto others mm. as you'd like to be done kind of thing. So if I've, you know, if I did to you as you've done to me, it has, it rings a bit like, like that. And I was like, ah, oh, that's totally what it is, Ray. Like, yeah. Take your children, your language, your water and trees. Take your culture, your land, your bones and bodies. Mm. Would you ever believe me when I say that I'm sorry? I doubt it. Yeah. And that's something that like. Like I, I've tried to show people just how insensitive they are when they say, get over it. They're like, get over it. It was a long time ago. So I'll, I'll write back. The last residential school was closed in 1996. And I mean, residential schools still exist to this day, but if we're going to, if we're going to be like, we're taught, you know, cause kids still go to schools where they l- learn white history and white languages And, you know, kids, indigenous kids still have to, and young folks still have to leave their communities in order to receive an education a lot of the time. And they're experiencing higher rates of, of violence. And so like you think of like indigenous folks in Thunder Bay, like they're flying in from other communities into Thunder Bay and they're finding them in the river, you know, (sighs) So I'm just like, I don't personally believe that residential schools were all closed in 1996. They're still happening. But for the sake of argumentation, I'll tell people like the last residential school closed in 1996 and you're saying get over it. It was a long time ago. So does that mean soon I'll be able to tell the victims of 9-11 to get over it? How long before I can do that? And that people off. And I mean, it should. That is the point of it. 
Because the thing is, is that like, I would never tell someone that. Yeah. Yeah. That is so insensitive and horrible. But I want to just show, I want to put up a mirror just to show how insensitive and horrible it is to tell people to get over a history, to get over actions that are still happening. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's the, it's the pinnacle of, of gaslighting. It's like, it's like the, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, I try to like spin things in a way sometimes if I really get to the, you know, I'm on the edge here and you're like. You're practically wanting to push me off a cliff. And I, and I, so like, I'm going to turn around and be like, yeah, I'm going to go there and just show you just how insensitive. And so like, I did that once and like the whole, the whole thread was taken down Mm. and you know, I'm going to guess it's partially be, if not totally because of what I wrote, because it's like, that's really insensitive, but Again, it's like I wanted to show those folks, you know, in those comment sections who are so anti-Indigenous, just like make them realize just how horrible they sound. Right. You know. But now I feel like I've gone on a weird tangent. But No, yeah, you so- haven't gone on a weird tangent, uh, Gray. And I, and I really, the amount of care... And mindfulness you put into everything you do. I swear, every time I've seen you perform on stage, you are actively working on making the world a better and safer place. That is really what I feel like you do. And you give you give so much. You give you've given so much to me over the years. You give so much to the audience. You're so smart and you have so many important things to say. So never apologize for going for for speaking. <laughs> well, you know, me quitch, and I, I really appreciate that. But uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I share is like it's it's basically amassing the wisdom and knowledge and intelligence of like all the smart people around me and wrapping it up in my own experience and with my own perspective and then offering it back. I try to I try to give credit as much as I can, you know. If I if I'm giving a talk or talking about something and I remember where I got that information because you know not all not all information is so conscious and it, you can you can't always just pin it and be like that's where I learned it, but if I if I do remember or if or something like I try to give credit where where credits due, you know. So it's like I'm not I'm not this person on my own, you know, in a vacuum. It's very much from like mostly just like the work of women around me and and non-binary trans people around me and, you know, learning so much, especially from Ray and especially, you know, from my partner, you know, learning from like my collaborators, learning from my time on the road, you know, with Quantum Tangle and um, really just trying to learn as much as I can. And, and, you know, we kind of, I feel like we kind of mentioned like between takes here about like not feeling like we're an adult until the age of like 30. Totally. Yeah. And I can really so relate to that of like, you know, I'm 34 now, I think I'm 34. And you know, like when you're like laying in bed and you're like, Oh, why did I say that? It was like 10 years ago, but you're like, oh, I wish yes. I never said that. You know, there's like, it's such a like, embarrassing and can really hurt to reflect on those things. And you're like, Oh my God, why? But there's, you know, it's kind of like trying to focus on the lesson of those things and trying to be like, I had an elder tell me that once too, when I was really struggling and her name is uh, Vera. And she was like, try not to focus so much on like the bad or the good and try to focus more on the lesson Mm. of what you should be learning about it. And Sometimes that can help ease a bit of suffering too, but I think it's it's also good to be like, that was wrong of me and like, I feel bad and it's like, and that is part of the lesson of like, I don't want to feel like this again. So I yeah. I'm want to do good and I want to speak good things and do good things and like show up for people and as much as I can with like the resources that I have, you know? So that's going to be different every day, but I don't know. I, all this to say that like, I really appreciate you saying that. 
about me. It's really kind. When and, we toured together um, almost to the day, like six years ago. Yeah, it's like it's our like tour anniversary. It is, yeah. which is so fitting and um, yeah, happy tour anniversary. Nice circle, happy tour anniversary, Gray. Yeah, happy tour anniversary. That was a great tour. <laughs> um, I was making a a comment on having. I think maybe it was with regards to how much coffee I consume or how much chocolate I consume or something and I mentioned shame and I think I I was like oh and I was doing it probably like I you know humor is my favorite coping mechanism so I was doing it with with it like I was saying making some kind of self-deprecating joke and you said something to me you said something along the lines of you know I don't want to feel shame around food anymore and for me, that statement was so groundbreaking because food and shame have always gone hand in hand. And I didn't yeah. even at this point, and this was six years ago, so I wasn't in the darkest of days that I had been with my eating disorder, but I still was having disordered eating. When you said that to me, it made me think that maybe I could do that too. Like maybe shame doesn't always have to go with along with food. And it, in fact... <laughs> it doesn't at all and and it it has sent me on this this path of of really reevaluating my relationship with food and I will never forget that and I just want to say thank you. Oh jeez. And you know what? Like so much of that like undoing unprogramming of like um of yeah, like of shame and food being best friends and always feeling bad about what you're eating and this and that. Like I learned so much from my partner, Crystal. And when we got together, she was, um, she was running like the luscious life and, um, she, she was and is like connected to like the body positivity world. Um, and I know like body positivity has been like co-opted and stuff, but like for lack of a better, I just can't think of like what, what the, what the latest like language around that is. Um, but, um, you know, I learned so much from her and it really helped me because like I had been put on like different, like eating regiments and this and that since I was like a kid, right. Of like going to the doctor and the doctor being like, you're unhealthy because of X, Y, Z. And so now you're going to be on this eating regimen. And then, you know, it's, it's just a recipe for disordered eating from yeah. a small age and always feeling like you need to, you know, lose weight or do things like that. And I won't talk too much about that because I know it could be really triggering. Um, so, you know, growing up in that as most like, I know it happens to everyone, but it like, it is really disproportionately like in, um, in the lives of women. And I know in the lives of trans folks, like, I think that, uh, trans folks actually, there's not a ton of research, but the research that does exist, like, um, that disordered eating is like super duper, super duper prevalent in, uh, the trans community. Um, that, uh, in, in any case, like, you know, it starts really young and everywhere you look is about, um, having, having the certain type of body and, you know, that you want to only weigh between this and this amount of pounds and all that. And, um, the thing is, is that that's just not real and it's just actually not scientifically backed exactly. whatsoever. Yep. Um, so people will want to bring science and health into this and it's actually like, well, then you're, you're still, you're still wrong. And fat phobia has really been so ingrained into our mm -hmm. culture and our communities. And it's, it's everywhere, everywhere mm -hmm. you watch a show. Like people will be like, this is the most like anti-oppressive show I've ever seen. It's like, well, actually there's so many fat jokes yeah. and the fat people are always just like gross made to look, to seem really gross or stupid or lazy. Mm -hmm. like any show that you watch um, or not obviously not any, but like the, a lot of shows they'll be like everyone, you know, they, they have differently different people with different abilities and different races and sexualities and this and that. And I'm like, okay, where's the fat people? Yeah. And, and where are they playing roles where like they're not just being made of made fun of, or basically the reason they're there is because 
you want to show that obesity is an epidemic or something like that, which it really is not. Um, you know, fat people have always existed, actually. Yep. Yeah. And like, look at all the artifacts that are being dug up from like tens of thousands of years ago. Like, it's all like beautiful, like voluptuous, like feminine bodies that, you know, have uh, a fupa and have like multiple different like bellies and hips and thighs and all this stuff. And it's like, that's fine. Yeah. Actually, every body type is totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. You know, um, and I mean, it's hard as a trans person, it can be also hard to hear that. So I also want to acknowledge that, like, it doesn't always feel fine to be in your body. And I really, really can empathize with that of experiencing that. So I'm not trying to, like, generalize. But what I am trying to say is that, like, you can't tell someone's health by the shape of their body, mm-hmm. and that, period. And you can't tell someone's health by what they eat. Mm-hmm. You, you just you, you can't. Um, so. I'm glad I was able to like summarize that like while we're on tour or whatever. Like, cause for me, I'm like, I don't want to feel shame when I'm eating. I have to ask you before I let you go, my pal, what is your favorite tour snack? I should remember this. I should know from when we were touring together. Oh my God. I don't even remember what I was eating when we were touring together. Frankly. I guess it, I guess I shouldn't be hard it on myself. It was back. six years ago, <laughs> it was like six five years ago. ago. <laughs> I just remember it being like it was winter and it was cold. Yeah, but we played some really great venues, and I just loved my time. And we got to play Dreams by Fleetwood Mac together, and it was really beautiful. And I loved every friggin' moment of it. And I got to sing Deerhead with you, which is my <sighs> like remains like my favorite song to this day. And like Aww. also sing it to myself, like you who you don't want to know me. You, you, it's such a good song. Thank you so much. Yeah, so good. So I mean, you know, tour snack. I'm like, what do we even like to have on tour as a tour snack? But hmm, probably croissants. (gasps) Solid choice. Savory or sweet? Are you just you can let them do both? Oh. Dealer's choice. I'm just like whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever's around. Like if you got a good almond one, even like almond or chocolate, um, just butter. Cut it up. Have a sandwich on there. You know, very versatile. Gray, thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate you. Appreciate this conversation, and uh, I just look forward to when we can cross paths on the road again and share some croissants. Oh. <laughs> same it's so great to see you and to chat with you and the thing i miss most about touring is seeing great folks like you so i'm yeah really grateful that we get to chat and truly appreciate you Thank you so much for being such an amazing guest. I loved catching up with you and I just look so forward. I so look forward to the day that we can cross paths in real life. Uh, Everybody, please go check out their music. GRGrit.com. That's GRGrit with two T's.com. Please go check out their music. Okay, we've got to thank some folks. You've been listening to Pep and Chad with Megan Nash, co-production with Creative City Center in Regina, Saskatchewan. The Creative City Center is supported by the Canada Council for the Arts, the Saskatchewan Arts Board, now known as Sask Arts, the City of Regina, Canadian Heritage, and Creative Saskatchewan. This podcast is made possible because of the ongoing support of these agencies in spite of everything that's going on in this pandemic-fatigued world we live in. Special thank you to the Garys for the music. The Creative City Center is a community-based art center that used to present around 200 events a year and gave a lot of emerging artists a home as they were starting out. Now they are home for a lot of online online production so check out creativecitycenter.ca to see what else they are cooking up besides all of this pep and chat with me megan nash support live music folks no matter what form it's served up in thank you bye bye <laughs>